Bear, bear, bear. Gently bear, bear, bear. Thanks for listening to Grand Craft Beer, Ben's premier beer podcast, exploring everything beer in Central Oregon, with your host, who's a Cicerone and the author of Oregon Breweries, Brian Yeager. Hello and welcome to Grand Craft Beer. This is Brian Yeager, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Matt Van Wyk, owner and brewer and other hat wearer at Ale Song Brewing and Blending over in Eugene across the Cascades. Welcome to Bend. Thanks very much. I appreciate it and glad to be here. So as I said, right, Ale Song is over in Eugene. What brings you to Bend? Well, uh, as you as you just mentioned, I'm aware of many hats and many small businesses have to do that. And, um, you know, I'm one of the founders, one of the three founders, along with Brian and Doug Coombs. And um, I was the founding brewmaster for five years. I was making all the beer on the hot side. And now I do a little more sales. I'm the global sales director for Alesong Brewing and Blending. So I was delivering beer because we uh, self-distribute in Oregon and um, I needed to make a run over here and fill up some stores with Alesong bottles. Well, well, I have a lot of questions about those Alesong bottles and the beers contained within them. Uh, Curious what the Bend market looks like for you. Is this a good market to be in? Uh, You know, are, are sales better or worse in proportion to other areas of Oregon this size? It is a great beer town, as you know, and um, there are a lot of people, both residents and visitors, who drink a lot of beer. So for that reason, it's good. Um, It's also a very localized beer scene. And so for that reason, it's more challenging because a lot of people want to put on Central Oregon beer, especially on the draft lines, which is okay. but there's a lot of variety here too. So beers like ours, our barrel-aged things, um, are well uh, thought of. Um, I don't have a lot of accounts where our beer is sold. Um, Feel free to give any of them a, yeah, a, a shout-out ma- for pairing ma- you guys. What I was going to mention is um, two of my top ten accounts in the whole state of Oregon reside here in Bend. And, and one is Market of Choice. Right on. Market of Choice is a very good grocery store for us statewide. And then also Third Street Liquor is another one. Um, Shout out to Franklin, Fra- the buyer there. Franklin is the best, and he has such a collection of rare, unique, high-end, and also regular beers. I mean, their selection there is just outstanding. And a lot of people don't always think of go to the liquor store to grab their beer, mm-hmm. but he's got a good selection. He does. I, I They take good care of their beer customers there. They do. They really do. And and we're in some other notable spots that people know around Ben, Broken Top Bottle Shop, um, but even some places that aren't as well known, like Blissful Spoon. I just had lunch there today. Oh, and wow. a customer of ours, and they make some great food and have some good offerings as well. So have a lot of, got a lot of good customers in Bend, Central Oregon. Right on. So let's kind of jump back. Tell everyone really what Ale Song Brewing and Blending is about. Because even then, when you, a moment ago, you said brewing on the hot side when you first started there was no hot side well there's still in uh, <laughs> interestingly there still is no hot side to our brewery i had to travel to do so and we still do that so um just to give you the little flavor of it um we make only barrel aged beers so all of our beer is aged in some sort of um, barrel whether it be retired wine barrels or some kind of spirits barrels rum tequila a lot of bourbon um but if but if we can find a barrel we age our beer in it. And do you take the barrels that you're offered or do you go out seeking certain ones either by the spirit itself or the brand of that version? We do a little bit of everything. Um, on the on the wine barrel side, 
there's really kind of two actually there's kind of two sides to our business. There's wine barrel aged beers that are let's say fruited sour beers, farmhouse ales, things like that. And then there's the spirits barrels which we're talking about. Um, and we use the barrels for different reasons on both sides. On the on the wine side where we've got our mixed culture and sour beers, those barrels are just there to house the organisms that are creating the lactobacillus that makes the sourness. Same thing as in yogurt and whatnot. Um, and maybe a little bit of oak tannins will be picked up into the beer, but we're really not using it for the barrel itself. It's just housing the micro, microflora that makes, helps mature the beer. On the spirit side, we're really trying to get what is soaked into that barrel, whether it be bourbon or gin or rum. Um, I so, love gin-aged beers. You do not see a lot of them. You don't. And I think the reason that they're so good is because those barrels are hard to procure because essentially most gin is unaged. Right. So if you have Old Tom, you're going to be left with a gin barrel. When the brewers get them, they must say, all right, no messing around. I'm going to knock it out of the park with this. And I, I'm telling you, that's what I find virtually every time with those. Yeah. So what have you done? You've done some cocktail-inspired we, beers. I wish I would have brought you a bottle. Me we, too. <laughs> we have a French 75 beer that we've done a couple times, and we just released a new version of it. Um, I believe that one's pretty much only available in our tasting room, so we won't find that one in stores. But it's a, it's a mixed culture saison aged in ransom Old Tom gin barrels. And like you're saying, there aren't a lot of gins aged in oak, and that's why we just can't find them. We would make so many more gin barrels if it was a thing. Are you aware of Gomper's Distillery in Redmond? I believe uh, you may have told me about that okay, once I before. Probably did. I probably like, yes. I like spreading the word. Yeah, yes. It's a, it's a gin-forward distillery. I need to look into that. They do a couple that. other things, and they do an Old Tom. Okay. And that them and, and Ransom are the only two yeah. you know, oaked gin makers in Oregon that I know of. Right. Well, uh, I will look into them. Thanks Good. for the tip. Um, that would be great to get some uh, some more gin barrels. Um, this one that we make, um, we add lemon peel to, uh, and, and carbonate it a little bit higher so we get that spritzy feel of a nice. French 75. Um, and then the good thing about gin barrels is oftentimes you can use them more than once and still get some pretty good impact. And I think it's because the botanicals that you find in gin, especially the citrus, um, you know, it's oily. And I think that kind of stays behind in the barrel a little bit. Um, with our bourbon barrel-aged beers and actually all of our spirits barrel-aged beers, we always use them once and then either retire them, make them into planters, maybe even put them into yeah. our sour beer program. But the reason is we've extracted a lot of bourbon and other spirit flavor out of them. And so the next one's going to be a little flabby and not have the same impact. So. It's true. And I think a rhino suit, it's a very robust, strong, warming beer. Yeah. Like uh, it's an imperial stout that is just... It's like a double mega imperial. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't have a big sort of bourbon, warm, caramel, toffee, vanilla flavor from the bourbon barrels, it's just going to just be the stout. And and when you – it costs a lot of money to make barrel-aged beers, and therefore the consumer has to end up paying for that. But when you pay a little more for bottles, you know, 15 20 and higher for these beers – you want some bourbon impact, and so we're sure. not we're not willing to just keep on using them. Going well, good enough. It doesn't work that way for us. So, um, anyway, uh, I should finish answering your question <laughs> that you asked. No, it's <laughs> okay. There's you. there's a lot of tangents. Um, I was only going to say that um, I made the wort or the unfermented beer um, for the first five years of our company, 
And we did, and we still do today, travel to a partner brewery to make that. We don't own a brew house. So we look a little bit more like a winery inside our our brewery um, because we have to travel with our ingredients, make it, haul it back in stainless steel totes on a truck, put it into our fermenters, and then we do everything else that a brewery does. We take a little pause to age stuff in barrels, but then we put it back in stainless steel to put in bottles and to put in kegs. So it's a lengthy process that takes 12 to 18 months for most beers before they're ready from brew day to selling. Um, and uh, But we like the we like what comes out, and, and one of the reasons we do it is we certainly make different things than the IPA-crazed craft beer world today, and and we like that. Give someone another alternative to IPAs. And yet that is your – I remember you telling me this a, a few years back. Uh, some breweries that maybe are known as being IPA factories will come out with a really special bourbon barrel-aged stout as their anniversary beer. But because that's what your all-the-time beers are, you get to do the opposite. You get to do – an IPA as your anniversary beer. That's right. We we don't make IPAs, but once a year. And now we actually do it as a collaboration with another brewery. It's just easier to do it at their house <laughs> and then call it part ours <clears throat> and sell it at our tasting rooms. Um, we love, I, I drink all kinds of beers. I drink IPAs still quite often. Um, and I've been in the brewing industry for 21, 22 years. And so I've made all kinds of beers. I don't want to stop making IPAs, but my brewery doesn't really do that. And so instead of making some specialty thing, which all of our beers are special, um, we get together with someone and we try to make it a well-sought-after friend in the brewing industry that people will want to come buy that beer. And so we get together with them. And you know what it also does? It really helps us stay um, current on all of the hop trends that are going on. New hops being uh, bred, um, new hop products um, being used. It's amazing what has happened in the last two or three or four years, last decade even, of hop world um, All the hop technology. Totally. Cryogenic. Yeah, li- liquid hops. Liquid, you, can, exactly. you, you can pour pourable hops, is what <laughs> they're calling them. Instead of a little, um, you know, vegetative flower. It is, uh, you know, a liquid, and it's got all the hop goodness, the aromas and flavors that you'd want, and you can pour it in the bright tank as a dry hop. You can use it in the hot side during the boil and all kinds of crazy things, but we don't pay attention to that because we've got a company to run that's not making those, and that that's our one time to really pick someone's brain and learn a little bit. Well, you know, you meant, as, as I'm glad you mentioned, you've been in this industry for over 20 years, and there's a lot going on in the, you know, 21st century realm of hops but I have this memory of going to a Cubs game in Chicago where I know you're from and of course when you are drinking uh, at Wrigley you're drinking old style old style for sure so I remember someone introducing me to this little bottle of hop extract and we would bring it in and all of a sudden that old style became new style it was like a really hop forward you know it was still like a lager base. It was still like a cheap lager, but it was. But you felt like you were having. It was a, like the cold IPA of its day. You know, I, that's, <laughs> I was just thinking that is like the way that so many IPAs are made today: light body, kind of crisp lager like, but with a huge hop nose on them. No malt it, backbone. All you yeah. were ahead of your time. That's exactly exactly <laughs> right. But then now you really were ahead of your time. You know, I I, I did a little uh, quick glance at. Um, the Great American Beer Festival list, because I know 
ever since opening Song, you guys have won these really fantastic medals. You're up to 11 at this point right. in far less than 11 years. So congratulations Thank you. there. Uh, before you were winning medals for your own brewery, Song Brewing and Blending, you were winning medals with barrel-aged beers at your prior brewery, Oakshire, also there in Eugene. But I still have an empty of Wooden Hell. Oh, nice. From... Flossmore Station yeah. in Chicago, which is, is that where you got yep. your start? Uh, it wasn't actually the start, but it was the it was this place I spent the most time in the first few years of my career. Um, I worked at actually three other breweries prior to that, but I spent six years there. And that beer, uh, Wooden Hell, was a, a bourbon barrel aged barley wine. And it would have been 2006 or seven that that beer mm-hmm. was created. Um, and it, it has won a Great American Beer Festival medal. But it also got a little uh, white whale status back yeah. when people were collecting and trading more than they do today. So, so many changes in the industry. First of all, you would have a, a, a much better handle on this than I do. Is there even such a thing as a white whale in the beer world anymore? This, <laughs> I don't this, think so. This, you know, so. Moby, disc, Mo, Moby, disc, Moby Dick-esque beer that... Everyone, Everyone fancies themselves but this you can't camp find. Captain Ahab. They want to go track it down. It's yeah. their all-encompassing passion. For for a good chunk in the late aughts, certainly through the mid-teens, it was all about those whales, bros. And, right. You know, um, it, it it to me, as a spectator, it seems like it doesn't really exist. But as the producer, do you see that? Well, uh, I think you're right. I don't know if it does exist. Those, I think those same beers exist, and many of them are better than the things they were trying to track down mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Um, I'm thinking of things from Anchorage Brewing, where he makes a little bit but spreads it all over the country, and it might cost $80 for a 375-milliliter bottle. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but one of them, I think it is the barley wine. Yeah, Deal with the Devil, yeah, I think. Is it's that. $100 yeah. mm-hmm. for a split. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it seems crazy. <laughs> um, the, the backstory I heard on that is he had all these people who were trading it around the country and selling it on the second sure. mar- secondary market. I understand they, that. They were helping make it that whale. And Why I think some, you know, moron get the money when when he could get the. That's money. exactly what I I've heard the story is is like well if people will pay for it I guess I'll charge that. Fair enough. And it does cost a lot of money to brew in Alaska, no questions there, but not one hundred eight dollars for eleven point two ounces or whatever. I finally made my way to Alaska for the first time and to Anchorage Brewing uh, when I was there, so I did feel that sort of Moby Dick esque sense of triumph of ah I finally landed it. yeah exactly nice but nice. i did not have to spend a hundred dollars there <laughs> yeah yeah the crazy thing is you're right the the cause of this change is the the industry has changed so much that you can get awesome 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 beers whether it be barrel aged or others in all corners of of the world now and you don't have to seek it out and like i said those same beers are there but there's so many more of them and you'd go crazy trying to decide which one is the most sought after and which one you should be seeking out. So, um, yeah, I think that's just a sign of a maturing market where there's just beer is just beer now. It's not, oh, my gosh, I've got this special one that you didn't get. <laughs> right. And back then, and I'll tell you, um, this is a little tiny brew pub that you mentioned in Flossmoor, Illinois. We probably had 35 cases of bottles in 22-ounce bomber bottles. That's one of the re- it was a great beer. It did win awards and it sold out real fast and then you couldn't get it 
and then it gets a few good ratings on some sites, and everyone wants it. But and that was the early days of those sites, too. Yes, that's right. They were just starting up, and it was crazy. If you saw something on there that everyone was buzzing about, you had to get your hands on it. But we sold it all out in, like, one morning, one Saturday morning. So it was fun. It was certainly great. It, it made me feel good and, and gave me some recognition. And, and like you said, that was one of my early um, um, brewing jobs, and it sort of set me on the map also because um, – I won about nine Great American Beer Festival medals there. And um, in 2006, I was a small brewing company brewer of the year at the Great American Beer Festival. And I think that kind of got me noticed amongst some circles. Because back then, it was a much bigger deal because, you know, everyone knew of all the breweries. Because there might have been right. 1,500 breweries across the country, and now there's 10,000. It's true. You you look at the you, – you read the list of winners, and you think – who? From where? Yeah. But that's not to say that they're bad. Obviously, they're phenomenal. They won in a very crowded category. It is great that no matter where you live in this day and age, there is a world-class brewery right down the road. That's right. You. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're blessed in that respect, but it's also challenging if you're a, a business owner like me because it's just a lot of competition. Now, sp- kind of going back to that sense of competition, certain categories at GABF are the most competitive. American IPA, American Double IPA, you know, all these different uh, spinoffs of IPA. As we discussed, that is not Song's wheelhouse. You are doing, as you mentioned, all barrel-aged beers, lots of blending, so some uh, like bourbon-aged stouts. But I really, I'd like to get back to this idea of wine beers. As you know, it's a really big uh, direction for beer that I am a huge fan of, even though it is not nearly as commercially viable as IPA, Pilsner, things that are, you know, taking up a lot of shelf space. How'd you get into it? What What was your foray into the world of wine beer hybrids? And what even is that to you? Right. So, uh, loaded question there. Yeah. Um, so... Um, one of the reasons that we, uh, I don't want to say specialize in because it's not a specialty, but it's one of the threads we do. One, one, one type of beer we enjoy making is a wine beer hybrid. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's basically using wine grapes in a beer. So it's kind of like a wine and kind of like a beer. Um, you might use some winemaker processes in making it, punch downs of the fruit, um, uh, malolactic fermentation, bottle conditioning, things like that. Um, I love, and we love wine. One of my business partners, Brian, um, uh, worked at uh, the winery that's next door to us before we started Ale Song. It's King Estate Winery. And he was, uh, learning about things there. He's like in four or five wine clubs as well. So he's got a passion for wine and Doug, his brother, who's our third business partner, um, he worked sort of in some financial situations down in the uh, Napa Sonoma region um, with some wineries down there. So he kind of had that sort of uh, wine club vibe um, to to his job before starting this brewery. So we just kind of love that wine world. We have a brewery that I mentioned before. It looks more like a winery. It's full of barrels, and there is no uh, kettle and mash tun to be seen, just a bunch of tanks and some barrels. So we're already kind of in that mindset. And then, um, we 
probably drank a few of those. We've always wanted to make wine, which we now have a white wine out. Oh, yeah. um, I should have brought you a bottle of that too. Matt, to really... next time. And we have a we have a Pinot Noir <laughs> coming out. Time. Come on. Yeah. And <laughs> and so, so someone said to us recently, "Why do you guys make cider and wine now? I thought you were a brewery." And it's like because we like to drink them. And Bingo. We, and we and we're going to keep drinking them. So to to your main question. A, a wine beer hybrid to us, a, a wine beer, and, and as you know, Brian, they have a hard time finding the name for this style of beer. Shout out to shout out to the most ephemeral <laughs> beer sale name ever, Eno Beer. Eno Beer, yes. That, <laughs> O-E-N-O-B-I-E-R. That really explains it to the consumer, doesn't it? Um, that didn't stick. Um, so I call them wine beer hybrids just so people can realize, oh, it's kind of like a wine and kind of like a beer. Um, you know, but to us, it's sort of bringing the best of both worlds. What I tell people is we're trying to make something that you say, wow, that kind of tastes like a wine. Like the things I like about wine, the, the stuff from the fruit is great. But you're drinking something that is cold or cooler served than many wines are served. Some wines are served. And it's carbonated. And there are some carbonated wines. Um but you get this sense that it's still beer. And exactly. So both. It really, that's what I love about them yeah. is it satisfies both cravings. That's you, right. You're scratching your beer itch and your wine itch, but you're getting a third itch, as it were. That's right. And you know, and, and you, you pick greater up- Greater than the, some of its parts. It, it totally is, especially when you get to blending the different barrels. And, and we've only done single grape varietals, but I think that'd be cool to- do a, a mix-up of some different grapes. But, um, you know, you also get a sense of place, that terroir that you get in wine. And, you know, some people roll their eyes when a winemaker starts talking about that. But it is really true the the growing season finds its way into our wine beer hybrids. The one example is when, when wildfires are a real problem, many winemakers don't make wine with those smoke-tainted grapes. I love them. And they're interesting, yeah, right? Yeah, the and ones coming out that came out of the valley. Yeah, yeah. I, I bought them up yeah. when and, I found and, them. And, and you can use those same grapes in beer, and guess what? You have a smoked wine grape beer. A Rauch Eno beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a new beer style. Oh, that's so... Rauch Eno Beer Fest 2024. You heard it here first. I'll start. I'll start working on the GABF guidelines to yeah. see if we can get it as an entered category. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Cate- yeah. Category. Nth. Yeah. <laughs> like 107. Category not gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> but that would that would be great. Yeah. Now, also, it, it's so funny. Um, earlier this morning, I knew you were coming into the studio for this podcast. Uh, and my Facebook showed me, I don't know if you have even seen this. I Did just you? saw it Excellent. before I walked in. So, you know, it says your history for this day. You know, my wife had tagged me in some things, but you tagged me in one from the year 2016. That's right. Se- it was 16. Seven years it was, ago. Yep, that's right. And I clicked on, uh, it was a, a link to an article that I had written that included a brand new mm-hmm. Red Out of the song. And I couldn't open it because it was uh, a story for a now defunct beer magazine called Draft Magazine. But I went into my own files. Did you find it? And I found it. And I said, you know what? That was pretty. F- I mean, I had completely forgotten that I had written yeah. this thing. Um, but it was about, it was all about blending. And so here is Ale Song. You don't have a hot side, you trust your work production to someone else. And then you're doing these exclusively barrel-aged beers that are going away for sometimes well over a year. You are trusting 
the process. You are trusting Mother Nature. You're trusting the microflora, microfauna. How do you sleep at night? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's difficult. However, we knew going into this, when you make it's sort of like if you open a winery, you know you have to wait a little while before you have wines that are mature to, to sell, right? There's t- a time and patience that you need. And we knew that going in. Um, Tommy Arthur is a good friend of mine, uh, owner and founder of Lost Abbey and, and Port Brewing. And he uh, he said, look, if you're a barrel-aged brewer, someone who spends a lot of time in, in oak, uh, you're going to dump beer. Things are going to go sideways. And mm-hmm. so we knew that from the start. And you build that into the, the plan. Um, I sleep very well at night all the time. My business partners don't, but <laughs> um, but it is tough because you have so many variables that you can't control, and a brewer's job is all about control, making sure everything's sanitary in the tanks that you're using and the hoses, um, making a recipe that's solid, keeping it all enclosed inside a um, something where the outside elements don't get in. We allow some of those outside elements to get into you those barrels. Them, we right. encourage them. And then we have all these things that you mentioned from the barrel. You know, the barrel to us is the fifth element. You got your hops, water, yeast, uh, malt, I guess I didn't mention. And then the barrel is the fifth ingredient for us. And we utilize that in uh, our blending. And, and we, we can make something um, taste more tart, more acidic, less acidic, more boozy, more vanilla, more this or that, just by blending. We have a, a beer coming out in February called Rackhouse Reserve. And it's our beer where we just take some odds and ends. We go through our cellar and mm. look for some of our favorite barrels. Sometimes our favorite barrels just get um, made into a one, like a, you'd be like a single barrel scotch or something like that. Um, uh, but other times we have these things that just don't work on their own, but we just go around and we blend them. And maybe we want something that's got a little more sweetness to it, a little more malt character, a little more of the bourbon character. Maybe it's, maybe it picked up a cool coconut character from the oak because oak can give coconut and, and brown sugar and vanilla flavors. And we'll blend different batches of beer together to create something that's, uh, it's better than the sum of its parts. So it's not, not, not quite a grain crew, but like an accidental cuvee. Kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like the, the brewer's best. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the brewer's best of the things that we forgot that we were sitting on. Exactly <laughs> right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, sometimes we use a lot of marketing to, to get to where we need to go. And sometimes it's... Uh, these were the best stuff we had, but really it's like, this is what we had and we made it the best we could and it tastes delicious. So it's amazing how we can turn a barley wine, a scotch ale and a stout into some new type of beer. And this is the thing that really throws me just as a consumer about Ale Song's beers, which are across the board. They're intensely delicious. They're just, each one is a remarkable liquid work of art. I'm not saying Thank that you. to your You're welcome. very kind. I, I say it because I mean it. But- you know, you said uh, you think of the barrels as the fifth ingredient. People talk about what is the fifth ingredient. Obviously, the first four are going to be malted barley, hops, water, yeast. Some people say it's a barrel if you're doing barrel aging. Some people just sort of throw a nod to time itself. I have really glommed on to saying that the fifth ingredient is intention. Mm. And yet, your beers, if you bear with me here, they're devoid of intention they're loaded with well let's just see what nature wants them to be and so it's the even by by doing the opposite by instead of saying i am very explicit what the destination of this beer's journey is going to be 
regardless of style, regardless of whatever BJCP says that beer should taste like, I believe that you could taste the brewer's intention. Yours sort of say, well, I don't know what I intend it to be, but I really hope it's going to be great when it reaches it. Yeah. And it's, so maybe it's more about the journey than the destination. Yeah. But that it, it works out so very well. That's a good way to describe it. And I've never really um, heard anyone explain it that way. But it kind of is. You know, we do set out with some intention at times. But a lot of times we wait to let the aging in the barrel tell us where it's going to decide. Then then we get our intention. Or something just goes uh, right turn and, and it changes altogether. I'll give you a real quick story. We were doing a collaboration with Freem Brewing out of Hood River. And we were working on this project where we had heard a conference talk on, I think it was from Julian Schrago uh, down at Beechwood. And he was saying that they make this strong, blonde, pale um, beer to age in bourbon barrels and then blend in the the chocolate part of the stout, the roast, the chocolate, um, mm. that kind of thing later because they don't like how it ages in a barrel. So we were going to mm. do that. That was We wanted to try that out ourselves, and we wanted to do it in collaboration with them. And So we went up and made a beer in Hood River, and we took part of it back to our brewery in those same totes we haul all of our wort in and left some of it with them. We aged it in our own barrels, and then we were going to decide what kind of stout to brew to make it this big imperial stout aged in bourbon barrels. Well, after tasting that blonde, pale, you know, kind of like a barley wine, had a great malt character, all of a sudden it tasted like you were sipping on a, a whiskey of sorts, a, a bourbon, and we're like, we can't lose this. We can't just turn it into a stout magically. And so we t- shifted gears and said, okay, no more black beer. We're going to make some cocktail-inspired beers, and I believe we made a Manhattan and they made an Old Fashioned, and then we brought those together and released them you know, I think around Portland or something like that. And um, it was just a, an example of you waited to see what it tasted like post-aging and then said, ooh, I think this is what I want to do with it. And luckily, we can still make some changes after the brew date. A lot of times when people make a beer, a Pilsner, an IPA, a stout, you're like, well, it's in the tank. That's what we're drinking. And they don't right. use blending or other ingredients post-fermentation. You might dry hop it more and go, oh, it's not as aromatic in the hop character, so I'll add some dry hops. Um, but we can do a lot of things and we have fun doing it. It's, it's enjoyable. When I think like I'm definitely a big cocktail guy. So I like cocktail inspired beers. Um, I'd say probably drink more old fashions than anything. It's easy. Everyone could make it. It's, it's delicious. I certainly like them more than Manhattans. Mm -hmm. But when I think about Manhattan inspired beers, I think of Ailsong. I think of Cascade in Portland uh, Brooklyn in Brooklyn, Firestone Walker, like a lot of friends of yours, right? People yeah, in, for sure. Um, and they've all come out magical. Yeah. And yeah. it's diff- all the people finding different ways. You guys are truly your mixologists, your blendologists. Right. And you're making these things that just go beyond the expected you know, flavor for, 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 for that beer. Yeah. It's really fun to do that because you have to think about other things than you do in a normal recipe, making up a recipe for a beer. You're thinking, okay, how do I get the bitters to come out, a dash of orange bitters? And how do I get just a cocktail cherry? I want them to know that I mm-hmm. put a little cocktail cherry in it, but um, uh, how do I make it just a little bit of cherry? And so there's a lot of thought process that goes into it. I know Firestone Walker has procured bitters barrels. Yes, I want to get some of those that too. Almost like it's not cheating; it's just 
well, good for you for figuring <laughs> right. out. Right. Then you age some beer in that. Then you <laughs> right. use just however much of that bitters beer, beer is exactly. barrel aged beer. And uh, yeah, that'd be fun. It's, it's a good tool. Uh, looking forward, right? 2024 or onward, uh, yeah, the, the, there's so much rapid growth. There's so many new products, uh, both for brewers, like you were talking about, these liquefied, you know, hop extract products and frozen things and whatnot. Um, and the world, you know, is always looking for what's new, what's what's the it thing. And, you know, it could be a double dessert pastry, hazy, N.A. imperial, <laughs> you know, it could be Yummy. all these things. But is there anything that you guys have coming out in 24 that is new that you are super pumped about? You know, when we set up our lineup for the next year, because interesting, like a winery, we have to kind of know what's, it's already in barrels right now, everything that we're selling. Um, and so we have to think think ahead what people are going to want or something like that. Um, we do some of our beers we've done before, and we might change them a little bit, but we bring them back out. And then we have a few new things lined up. But um, one thing that I'm kind of excited about, I don't know if consumers are, but we started to make a few different um, saisons, farmhouse sales that we dry hop. We've been successful with one called Touch of Bread. It was the first one we did. It's a, a Britannomyces fermented saison. Wasn't aged... that your first GABF medal, if yeah. I recall? Yeah, it was. It, 2016. Um... I can't not hear the dead whenever I see Touch of Bread, so <laughs> I, thanks for that. Well, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that you know that because everyone's like, Touch of Bread, who's Brett and why did you touch him? <laughs> <laughs> we use some we use some uh, song lyrics in some of our uh, beers, and so we uh, um, use Touch of Grey as our inspiration and whatnot. So anyway, um, there's a lot of those hop products that are coming out, and because we don't make a lot of beers that have you know a big hop character to them, we're experimenting with different uh, levels of dry hopping and things like that, just to see if we can get people who either love hoppy beers or are kind of tired of IPAs going, Oh, this is something new. I still have the familiar hop aroma, hop character that I'm used to drinking in sort of a drier, light bodied beer with some, you know, funky mixed culture fermentation to it. So we're not selling a lot of those or making a lot, but I, we have fun playing with them and seeing how we can skirt the line between IPA and dry hop Brett Saison. And I'm going to say, I shouldn't even announce this to the world, but I can't help myself. As someone who personally puts on a lot of really dumb ideas as a beer festival, I have threatened to revive an idea of mine that I never got to put into fruition, which is a tea beer fest. So I do think Touch of Brett, Touch of Grey, a little Earl Grey version of that would be phenomenal. I'm just putting that bug in your You know, head. I would like to revisit that. I, let's do it. Because Touch of Earl Grey. Touch of Earl Grey. Touch oh of, my God. That, you know it. what? That, <laughs> you, you get the name. That's done. We, we did make a tea saison with, um, with a tea company in Eugene in like our first or second year. And it was non-barrel aged. In the beginning of our company, we didn't make 100% barrel aged, but we still made these type of beers. And we've never revisited the tea beer. And it's, I think it's time. You know, in Eugene, was it 16 tons? Yes. They hosted uh, Brew Public's one and only tea beer fest. Yes. Or was it not? It was 16 tons. I think it was. Yeah, it was Mike at 16 tons because actually we made a beer with him. So I think we did do two actually. Shout out to Mike Cop. Coppin? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Y- yeah. Yep. I, we did make two because we made one um, with uh, a friend's tea company. And the other one was JT, who's a friend of Mike's, uh, Josh Chamberlain. 
and it was called um, Frederick's Lost Arm. Um, that was a really nice, nice beer. So I'd love to do it again. I only because this memory just came flooding back. What are my other absolute all-time favorite beers? You made it. It was when I did a book signing at 16 Tons. You did a orange chocolate. Oh stout. yeah, yeah. It was a riff off of a beer you already had. Right. Um, was that at Oak with Oakshire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whack and unwrap. Whack and unwrap. Whack and unwrap. Yeah, yeah. Please, that was nice. Yes, that's actually a good idea too. We could totally do a bourbon barrel aged version of that. Totally, man. You know, sometimes when you know we've been at this for seven and a half years at Ale Song, and I've been brewing beer for a long time. You get into it and you like, oh, I can't think of any new ideas. I need some new new blood. I'm gonna call you from now on (laughs) and say, Brian, wait a minute. What are we making? New blood. It's a blood orange whack and unwrap. There we go. Whack and unwrap, of course, referring to Terry's chocolate That's orange. That's right. Yeah. You know, the, the Christmas time. Oh, you are you are good That's... knowing Terry's is the brand. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Whack, <laughs> that little sticker says whack and unwrap. Yeah, it's so good. It's yep. good I as candy. Them. It's better as beer. I, I agree. 100%. Matt, thank you so much for driving all the way to Bend to do your deliveries. And thank you for taking the extra time to come in and be on the Grand Craft Beer Podcast. Always good getting to chat with you. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Grand Craft Beer Podcast with yet another voice from Central Oregon's homegrown beer community. We hope you'll share this episode and subscribe so you never miss a beer-soaked conversation. For questions, comments, or suggestions, contact host Brian Yeager via Facebook, Instagram, or X, all with the handle at Grand Craft Beer, all one word. Cheers!